welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. About worshipping and how worshipping with others changes you. Now, it's important that we kind of understand, and sometimes we talk about worship, it's important. We've got lots of scripture Bible talks about worship a lot, but understanding what worship is, because worship, sometimes we have this tendency to think of worship, you know, we're going to have a worship time or we're going to a worship service as kind of being the, the singing. And we kind of think worship equals singing, but singing can be worship, but worship is also other things other than singing. And, uh, and so I've got a, a bit of a definition there at the start of your notes, if you're following along. Worship is expressing our love and gratitude for God, for who He is, for what He's done, for what He said and what He's promised to do. So write that in your notes, worship is expressing our love and gratitude to God. When uh, Jesus was asked what the most important thing that his followers or as Christians or as, as believers in God need to do, he said this, he said, the most important command of all is this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Jesus says that this is the most important thing is to love God, love God with all of your heart, all of your emotions, all of your mind, all of your will, uh, all of your strength. So in physical things, we're supposed to, to, to love God when it comes to our, our job, our occupation, uh, the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do, places we go, it should all be done from this kind of place of love for God. And this is kind of a, a, a bit about, uh, I guess, what worship is, is this kind of expression, our relationship with God. It's kind of like the the outward display of what's really meant to be kind of going on inside our heart towards God, isn't it? So, so why do we, why is it important for us to express our love to God? Sometimes my wife and I have this little thing and we were, this came up in conversation the other day, but sometimes she says, tell me you love me. And all the husbands everywhere are going, uh-huh. <laughs> He says, why don't you, you, why don't you ever tell me, you, you don't tell me that you love me enough. And, you know, uh, we relate to, um, to Mike and Frankie from the TV show, The Middle. And uh, I might have shared this, this before, but um, it, it's, for me, it's almost a little bit like, you know, when we got married, I told you that I loved you. And if anything had changed, I would let you know. Uh, <laughs> but for her, she wants, she wants to that, that kind of visible expression. I think all of us really, although maybe in different ways, depending on our, our love language or our, you know, our, the, our relationship and who we are and what kind of things are important to us. But we want someone, if, if we don't have somebody who's expressing to us in a way that we can perceive and understand that they love us and care for us, now it might be a husband or a wife, it might be a family member, it might be a friend, we're not talking about any one particular kind of love, but it's important that there are people in our life that we perceive and receive that kind of expression of love from, isn't it? Otherwise, we start to feel unloved. We start to feel like, oh, maybe they don't really love me. And, and I think, you know, it's important for us too to express our love to God. That, that it's visible, that it's outward and not just something inward. 
not just because God doesn't know otherwise, but <laughs> because it's important for us, but it's also an important part of what people see in us, isn't it? If we love God, we shouldn't be afraid for people to see that. And so part of our expressing our love for God is about that. But there, there's lots of reasons that we could go into about why it's important to express our love for God. But I want to share four specific things this morning. It could have been a much longer list, but we have a limited time frame, especially when the worship team gets carried away. Um, <laughs> so the first, the first one is this. Because we were made to be loved by God. You were created, you were made, you were designed, you were not accidental, you were designed and made to be loved by God, to love and to be loved by God. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because He first loved us. There are passages in Scripture that talk about how this is, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus loved us and gave His life for us. Worship is our response to God. Our response, sometimes it's our response to realizing how much God loves us. Sometimes we can get a little bit kind of uh, caught up in the routines of being a Christian, caught up in the, the habits and the practices and, and sometimes we can kind of almost like maybe not forget so much as kind of become a little bit sort of tuned out, I suppose, to how much God loves us. And it can be a really good thing to have moments where we stop and we reflect just on that. Just on that, you know, how much God loves you and how much God cares for you. And our natural response uh, to that is to, uh, to express that love back to God. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5 says, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Before God even dreamed up, you know, or thought about creating the world, you were thought of. You, you were planned and God had a plan for adopting you into his family. It wasn't just kind of like, oh yeah, I think this is a good idea, this will work out really well. It's like, this is something that you can imagine God and he's, you know, talking to the angels or something about, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Gary, you know, and it's going to be so exciting, we're going to do this amazing stuff together. You know, I'm going to make Jules, you know, and he's going to, you know, have this kind of gruff exterior with a heart of gold inside and, you know, he's going to love me and he's going to talk about me. And, uh, you know, you can imagine God just getting excited and, and it bringing Him pleasure and it warming His heart when He began to think about you and plan uh, your life. It's important that we express our love for God because that's what we were created for. That, that is what we were designed to do. If we want to be, uh, you know, to, to accomplish, to, uh, to achieve our purpose as human beings, that's an important part of it, is expressing our love for God. Number two, because everything comes from God. Everything that we have, everything that you have today, from your, 
the, the heart that's beating in your chest to the clothes on your body to the car that you came here in or the, the legs that you walked here on maybe, I don't know, whatever the case might be for you. The sun in the sky, the air that you breathe, the home that you left this morning to come here, everything came from God. A verse here is, is a really interesting one in First Chronicles and it's kind of David has just taken, as, as king of Israel, has just taken up this massive offering from the people of Israel. This is Israel at the absolute peak of power uh, and they've, collect, they've, they've put out the call to all the people of Israel and saying, we want to build God this, this temple, we want it to be absolutely magnificent and so all the people started giving it, probably the, the modern day equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars raised and gathered and brought up and David just kind of burst out in praise. It's a great passage of scripture in um, 1 Chronicles 29. We want to read verse, a couple of verses here in verse 13 and 14. David is just praising God because of what's, what's happening, what's coming to pass, what's coming to be and he says, Oh our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. And so uh, in the midst of all this lavishness and in the midst of all these stockpiles of of gold and silver and and timber and precious gems and all these things are going to become part of the temple, here's David saying, Really, it was just yours to begin with. We don't deserve any credit for, for you know, doing anything special. We're just kind of giving back to you a, a small portion of what was already yours to begin with. James, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the, the lights in the heavens, sun, moon, stars, he, he gave it all and He gives to us as well. God gave you everything and He gave you everything that you need to sustain you as well. So we express our love for God because everything that we have comes from Him. Number three, we express our love for God because we understand life through worship. Every time you focus on God... Every time you, you draw near to Him in worship, you come into His presence. Did you know that? Do you think about that? Uh, and as we come into God's presence, as we spend time in God's presence, He begins to change our perspective and our understanding of things. You know, it's like when you're... Uh, who here knows somebody that's like really smart and knowledgeable about stuff and wise about stuff... Um, it's good to hang out with people like that, isn't it? It's good to talk about stuff um, that's going on with someone that you respect as being wise and knowledgeable because, you know, what you, you value um, their thoughts. And as you hang around, as you begin to spend more time with people, sometimes those ways of thinking start to rub off on us, don't they? Have you ever had a moment where... Maybe there was some big decision or, or some, some struggle or challenge and you just weren't sure what to do. It's one of those kind of things where you're like, it think, the things are just a little bit kind of murky or muddy, like what's the right decision, what's the right stand to take on this, what, what am I supposed to think or feel about this? And, 
and you came to church with that sort of like uncertainty or, or lack of clarity and, and somehow something that was said, whether it was in the, the sermon or in the worship time or something that, you know, God showed you in a passage of Scripture that just kind of made sense and, uh, of that situation and spoke into that situation and helped you know what it was, what decision it was you were supposed to make or, or what you were supposed to do. Has any, anybody ever had a kind of, a, I know I'm put, kind of putting you on the spot, but mate, I think there's probably quite a few of you um, that have had moments like, I know I've had moments like that, where it's just like, just, just coming to church and being part of hearing the Word and being part of the worship and God, God just kind of brings clarity of thought and, and helps us to know that decision, He just knew the decision that God wants you to make. There's a guy called Asaph uh, who wrote about a dozen of the Psalms and he wrote uh, this Psalm uh, 73, and he kind of describes a little bit of this kind of experience. I know that I, you all thought David wrote all the Psalms, but he did write a lot. He wrote about half, but there's kind of a, a bunch of other guys that wrote Psalms as well. And this one is a, a guy called Asaph. And he says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. He's speaking kind of emotionally here, not literally. He says, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. Who's ever been confused when you see wicked people prosper? Think, how does that work? Why does that work? God, where are you? He says, They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everybody else. Anyone relate? Uh, it says, and so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. I've kind of just skipped a couple of portions here, but verse 10 is kind of like people are getting caught up, people are getting lost, people are getting taken in because they're saying, oh, you don't need God, you know, look at me, I don't have God and I'm being wonderfully successful. And people are getting sucked in and drawn into that way of thinking. In verse 16, he says, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper but what a difficult task it is. (laughs) Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He says, I was, you know, looking all around me and, and wicked people prosper and flourish and they deny God and nothing seems to happen and it didn't make sense until I went into the temple, until I went into the sanctuary and then as I, as I came into the presence of God, it's like God reminded him, God showed him, God revealed, and he began to understand. Sometimes we need God's perspective on things, don't we? Sometimes we need God's wisdom. And as we begin to, uh, we, we get that as we learn to hear his voice and spend time in his presence. We begin to learn more about how God works. We begin to see that what's important to God is not always the same as what's important to us. And we start to recognize His hand working in the world. And we learn to trust Him. As we do that, as we, as we worship, we come into the presence of God and we learn how to make sense of the things that are going on in our life. That's number three. The fourth reason... is because God strengthens us through worship. 
Worship is important because God uses it to strengthen us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. Lots of you would know this. It's a great one for plaques with eagles on. But uh, it says, Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When we come and spend time in God's presence, He strengthens us. He refills our tank. He he lifts us up, gives us new energy. And, And sometimes I think, you know, we there's kind of been this temptation and I think at times we all feel it you know when you kind of wake up on Sunday and you've had a, a rough week and you're feeling tired and you're like I'm too tired for church today I won't ask for a show of hands on that one I think we can probably all identify at some points but you know this scripture says that when we're feeling tired and run down and weak is exactly when we need church more than ever and as we do, as we, as we make that choice to get up and participate in worshipping together with other believers, we find that our strength is renewed. We're restored. We can run and not grow weary. It gives us at least spiritual strength. Maybe not always physical energy or physical strength, although you can certainly do that. But often it's that, you know, often being spiritually drained also makes us feel emotionally and and physically drained too, doesn't it? And it gives us new determination, new courage. And there's no no substitute for worshipping together. So what kind of worship does God love? God loves wholehearted worship now the bible talks clearly about there being right and wrong ways to worship so i don't know about you but i kind of really want to know the right ways to worship i want to know the ways that god says this is a good way to worship and don't worship like that i want to understand that and know that because i want to please god and hopefully you do too and god says that wholehearted worship is what pleases god it's the opposite of half-hearted worship It's the opposite of insincere worship. He doesn't want us to just go through the motions. I don't know about you, but um, there there are times when I've been in churches when it seemed like people were just going through the motions. When it was kind of like, you know, the the lips were moving and sound was coming out, but their eyes were glazed over and it was like they were somewhere else. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. Hopefully not here. (laughs) But God wants us to be worshippers who are passionate, who, like uh, Kerry was talking about this morning, you know, I've got that, that fire in our, in our soul. It's like, what do we get fired up about? Do we get fired up and passionate about worshipping God? Or do we get more fired up and passionate about football or politics or... Uh, no, no, we won't talk about football. Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what, does, does, does worshipping God, does your relationship with God get you passionate? Does it get you fired up? Because it should. God loves it. 
when you just tell him how much you love him and you're not paying attention to, you know, you, you don't care who's listening or who hears you. <laughs> Sometimes that's the, that's the big thing, isn't it? God loves it when you tell him how grateful you are for all the things that he's done for you. When you express that and you, you tell him. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 31 talks about a king of Israel called Hezekiah. Who knows Hezekiah? Some of you have read a little bit about that. This is at the end of Second Chronicles 31. It's talking about Hezekiah and he says, In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. He was a guy, he was one of the good kings. He was one of the good guys. Israel's history is full of kind of ups and downs, isn't it? Good kings, bad kings, kings who brought the nation into idolatry and idol worship. And Hezekiah was one of those guys who came after a bad king, after a king who instituted all kinds of idolatry, even to child sacrifice. And Hezekiah was determined to do things differently. He wanted to know God's word and God's law. He was brought up to believe in God, not by his father, but by his grandfather. And, and so when he became king, he, he, wanted, he got the whole nation and he was, had them all studying God's word and he ripped out all the idols and banned all of that practice. It says he, he, he's chased after God, he sought God wholeheartedly. <laughs> and I love this look, you know, oh, and by the way, you know, as a result, he was very successful. <laughs> just kind of tacked onto the no it's not really tacked onto the end there but it's kind of making this point because Hezekiah was wholehearted in his devotion to God it says God made sure that he prospered God made sure that he was successful God hates insincere and heartless worship as, as hard as it is if you're just going through the motions and if your heart is not in it when you come to worship, you may as well not bother. You're accomplishing no more um, <laughs> than, than if you hadn't done anything at all. God hates insincere and heartless worship. Look at this verse in Isaiah, if you're a little bit unsure about that still. It says, so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honour me with their lips. So they say all the right words, sing all the right songs, but what does he say? Their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So these, these people, they're, they, they're far away from me. They are not coming near. They are not drawing into the presence of God because they're just going through the motions. They're just following rules and practices and traditions that were established by men and not by God. John four twenty three. This is part of the story of Jesus talking to the, the woman at the well as he encountered. And he says, a time he starts talking about Jerusalem and temple worship. And Jesus says to her, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. 
What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means to be authentic and also accurate. <laughs> it means to be heartfelt and passionate, but also Bible-based. It means we don't let emotions kind of carry us away and take us into places that God hasn't directed in our enthusiasm, but that we want to be genuine, Bible-believing, passionate, heartfelt worshippers. We don't want to be overly, you know, all emotional or all clinical and factual. We need to be both, don't we? That's one of the things that's really important to us as a church is that, yes, we have passionate worship where we just, we just love to worship God, but we also want to live according to what the Word of God says. Now, particularly over the last year, we've seen a lot of kind of online church and things like that in COVID times. And I know that at times that's been necessary and, you know, we don't know the future. Perhaps at times it will be necessary again. And in a lot of ways, we're grateful to have the kind of technology that when we are unable to join together with a church family, that we can still kind of share in or participate in some way um, with our, our church family's worship. Now, it's better than nothing, but it's, it's not the same as coming together. And you may have experienced that and you may have felt that. I remember uh, last year when we were not able to have church services because everything was kind of shut down for a couple of months and we had Zoom meetings and, and things like that. I know just about everybody uh, or the vast majority of people were ready to get back to face-to-face -face meeting as soon as possible because we recognize and we miss that connection with people and the opportunity to worship together. I don't know about you, but it kind of, it, it feels weird to sing to a screen. <laughs> did, did you, uh, have you experienced, did you, did you feel that way? It kind of feels a bit strange. Maybe you just do it anyway, I don't know, though that's you, but for me, it, it felt a little bit weird. But I, I don't feel weird at all singing here with uh, the, the team and with all of you and, um, you know, as we join together and our voices rise together. But I, when I'm sitting in my office and I'm watching some music on a screen, it's, it feels a bit strange to be singing along to that. <laughs> I, th I think one of the other things, too, is that often when we are um, we're, we're watching something on a screen we're often multitasking too, aren't we? And we're often a little bit more distracted than what we are in here. When we're at home, there's, you know, there's washing to do and there's lunch to make and there's dishes, you know, we got to, so I'll just do this while I'm listening to that and, you know, and we're sort of not necessarily always quite as present in the moment and in the space as what we are when we come and worship together. The other really important thing is that you know, there are a whole bunch of kind of verses that they, we, we sometimes refer to them as the one another verses. The things that as Christians and as believers, we're instructed and commanded by the word to do. You know what I'm talking about? Things like love one another. Things like pray for one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Forgive one another. All these kind of things that that unless we're actually connecting and in relationship, how do you serve one another when you're, you're watching church from a, from a screen? It's a bit tricky, isn't it? 
So quickly, I'm just going to go through some things that watching worship is not worship, if you want to add that to your notes. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't choose to worship, but simply watching other people worship isn't in and of itself automatically worship. How do we worship? How do we tell God that you love Him? Number one, by listening and responding to God's Word. Taking notes can be a part of your worship. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. But what does it mean? When, when, when God speaks, how important do you think God's Word is? When He shows you something, when He reveals something about his, Himself as part of worship, when we come together, what do you do with that? Some of you may be aware, but um, one of the, the, there are studies that have shown that we forget uh, around 95% of the things that we hear within 72 hours. And as a preacher, that's a little bit disturbing because I know that you probably, by Wednesday, you're going to have forgotten 95% of what I've said this morning. <laughs> and it's really good. <laughs> but one of the things that we can do, if, if we're writing stuff down, it says, this, this is, I'm taking this seriously. I'm not just being flippant about God's Word, but I want to remember it. I want to take it in. I want to, I want to write stuff down so that I can go back over it, refresh, remind myself, study it, review it, and maybe take in as much as I can because I value the Word of God. And when we choose to do things that value the Word of God, that is part of our worship and us saying, God, Your Word is important to me. But just taking notes and, uh, and remembering the information and the points isn't really enough, is it? You know, Jesus says, if you, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We want to be hearers and doers of the Word. And if we actually uh, want to, uh, I guess, express that kind of devotion to God, we need to take seriously what He says and do it and put it into practice where appropriate. Okay, number two, by singing to Him with our whole hearts. Now, some of you love singing, don't you, Gary? Gary loves singing. He would come and he, he comes to music practice and he's always the last person to want to leave. Everybody else says, can we just sing another song? Because he loves singing to God. Now, you know, that's great. If you're someone who loves singing, it's fantastic. Scripture encourages us and tells us psalms says, come let us sing to the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, let us come to Him with thanksgiving, let us sing psalms of praise to Him. Colossians 3 in the New Testament says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, it's not anything to do with how old the song is, like there's no particular, it doesn't have to be over 100 years old to be qualified as a hymn, that's not what Scripture is talking about. All the hymns that you've probably ever heard weren't written when this, was, well, was, this letter was written. So, okay, just getting that out there for all you hymn lovers. All right, you can't use this Scripture to defend your love of like 200-year-old Wesley hymns or whatever it is. It's about singing to God, singing songs to God. You can disagree with me later if you want to, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> But, but Scripture encourages... Now, now, you might not be a great singer. You might go, well, you know, nobody wants to hear me sing. Maybe you're a, a, a prison singer, you know, always behind a few bars and never have the right key. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
All right, honestly, that's, that's why we have loud music. <laughs> we'll drown you out, it's okay. Um, the scripture tells us to make a joyful noise, not a skillful one. <laughs> Sing, express it. If you don't, you're missing out. There is a blessing that comes when we sing and express. Um, Singing is an expression of emotion. Songs always have some sort of emotional connection and attachment to them. Well, mostly. All the good ones do anyway. Um, Especially love. You know, love songs, I would say, would have to be far and away the, the biggest kind of category of uh, a genre of music, I think, and there are many young people. I, I remember going through a little phase of being really into like '60s music, you know, all the all the really corny kind of stuff. And and there was one song that I used to have um, called "Personality" by Lloyd Price, and he starts off singing over and over. I tried to prove my love to you. Some of you can hear it singing in your head. It's all right. It says over and over. What more can I do? Over and over, my friends say I'm a fool, but over and over, I'll be a fool for you. Now, you know, we, we see lots of, uh, I don't know about you, whether you've ever done the, you know, serenading your special somebody with a guitar or crooning at them from, you know, the, you, we see it in the movies, don't we? The girls up there on the, the second story window looking out and the guys down there singing some sort of love song or something. But, but music kind of carries this, and, and singing particularly is an expression of emotion. If you're into country music, it expresses sadness more than anything else generally. <laughs> um, but uh, singing to God wholeheartedly and, and passionately and meaningfully um, is a great way to express our worship to God. Number three, by talking to God together in prayer. Acts 1 verse 14 kind of describes, uh, or Acts chapter 1 talks about the early church just before the day of Pentecost and it specifically kind of tells us that they'd met together and were constantly united in prayer. So they would come together to pray. Now, of course, we know that it's good to pray on our own, have our quiet place and, you know, our... Uh, prayer closet or whatever we we see in scripture in the gospels that Jesus at times would go off on his own and pray and talk to God but there's also uh, power in praying together when we're praying together for the same thing it does it does a number of things firstly it helps to build my faith I know that I'm not alone that there are people who are also praying with me and agreeing about that thing in prayer with me and I'm encouraged, but there's also a, a greater authority when we are united together with others in prayer. Matthew 18, Jesus says, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. It's easy to, it, often easier to pray alone, isn't it? That's a great place to start. Like, I want to encourage you, have your, your time where it's just you and God. But I think that as a church and as Christians today, we really struggle praying in front of other people. You know, you kind of, you, you do that thing and you know, like, you know, who'd like, to, you know, you have a, a life group meeting or something, you go, who'd like to close in prayer? Crickets. <laughs> 
everybody's looking at their shoes, yeah. <laughs> no eye contact. Why are we so uncomfortable with that? Are the people in your, in your life group, you know, really that mean that they're going to, you know, criticise you for, uh, for saying the wrong thing? They're probably not. I don't know, hopefully not. <laughs> but, but we get kind of worked up, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing, I don't know how to pray, as if like there's some sort of special code or special language or special formula that, you know, to make our prayers valid... Um, you know, we have to ha- have achieved a certain level of spiritualness, if that's a word, before God will hear our prayers or, or something, but we just, we, we claim up, don't we? And I think as this needs to be something that we're conscious of, this needs to be something that we are determined to do differently, that, and, and the only way that we're ever going to get more comfortable is if we just make a choice and start to do it. It's one of those things, like public speaking, that you really only get more comfortable with it the more you do it. And if you're always sitting back, you can, you can learn about it all you like, but until you start doing it, always going to be something that brings up that, that nervousness and that trepidation and that timidity. And that really ought not to be. It ought to be something that is just as natural as breathing or talking. Some of you, it's like, we can't shut you up until it's time to pray, you know? <laughs> It, there's, there's power when we choose and, and, and praying together is a, is a great thing. Uh, number four, sharing the Lord's Supper together. Um, and we're going to do that in just a minute. I know it's been a little bit of time, but I want to just take a, a few minutes um, to do this. Communion is one of the symbols that we have of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Jesus said, I want you to take the bread and the cup together because it symbolizes my death and my resurrection and the salvation that I purchased for you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17 says, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing together in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body now i i don't believe that paul was writing saying it's like communion is only valid if you actually like all have the you know the one big loaf of bread and everybody takes a bit of the same one um because you know you think about the early church that had several thousand members and i don't think even heston blumenthal could bake a loaf of bread big enough to feed all of them but he's talking about this sense of, of of unity and connectedness in christ you know, we, we, we're part of the body of Christ. So when we take communion, it's not something that is intended to be done alone. It's something we do together, isn't it? Something we do when we come together. So in terms of communion being an act of worship, what is it about communion that makes it an act of worship? What is the right kind of way of thinking about communion, the right kind of way of approaching communion. Firstly, it's, it's not something that we do out of grief. We don't take it um, as a way of uh, expressing sadness or, you know, Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus wasn't defeated by death. Jesus rose victorious and we celebrate His resurrection. We don't take communion out of guilt part of what communion symbolizes and represents for us is forgiveness. Jesus died so that our sins could be paid for and forgiven. We are washed clean, we are made 
new. We take communion with a sense of gratitude, with a sense of thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. Sometimes in, in some churches, communion is referred to uh, as the Eucharist. Maybe you've heard that term. It comes from a Greek word that means to give thanks, to be thankful, particularly when it's used in Scripture, giving thanks to God. So we take the elements of communion. A couple more things before we finish. We express our worship to God. We show our worship to God by renewing our commitment. One of the things that is important to do at times, maybe you remember that, that time when you first made that commitment to Christ. You first chose to um, lay your life down on that altar and give it to Jesus. And, uh, and Romans 12 verse 1 talks about, uh, encourages us to... Uh, uh, it says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. You know the problem with living sacrifices? I keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> we can be a little bit like that, can't we? You know, we can give our life to Jesus on the altar on Sunday. On Monday, we're crawling back off again. We're, we're taking back, uh, you know, uh, control. And it's one of the important things that, you know, we have these, these moments in our life where we, we surrender. We lay, when we recognize, oh, you know what? I've been, you know, I've stopped listening to God. I'm, I'm wrestling. I crawled off that altar again. And we, we put ourselves back up on there. We put ourselves back up in that place. Every time that in your life you make a God-honoring decision, every time uh, you obey Jesus, that's an act of worship and you're, you're laying your life down. Sometimes there are moments where we just need to say, God, I just, like, I, want, I need to renew that commitment that I made to you. I need to remind myself uh, of that decision that I made. Every time you put His desires before yours, Every time you surrender anew, that's worship. Every time you make a choice to obey God, that is worship. Number six, we worship God by giving back some of what God has given us. 1 Corinthians 16 says, On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. When, when, when we give... When we give, we declare our reliance on God and not ourselves. When we give, we express gratitude for what God has given and provided. Remember we said we earlier about how God is, everything comes from God? We express that. We give freely. We don't ever want anybody to feel pressured or under some sort of compulsion to give or obligation to give because if we only give out of duty or obligation, it's not done freely it's not done with like that wholehearted act of worship if it's going to be an act of worship it has to be something that comes from our heart something that comes from this desire to be generous to, to bless somebody second corinthians 9 says god loves a cheerful giver god loves someone who just wants to be generous and loves to be generous and to bless people and to to give to god 
out of a sense of gratitude and a sense of um, worship. And the last point here this morning, by being baptised to publicly declare our faith. This is one of the things that, when, when we said before, when we love someone, we aren't afraid to show it. We aren't afraid to, to make it public. We aren't afraid to say, hey, I love this person. <laughs> you know, and, and God wants that kind of um, thing from us as well, where He says, you know, I'm not afraid to stand up and say that I'm a Jesus follower. I'm not afraid to say that I've laid down my life in order to take up His. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Okay, so, so all of this, I guess all these kind of ways of worship that we've been talking about and reasons for worshipping, one of the important things I, I think to understand is that this, it's part of what God is doing in bringing us together as a church family and part of what God does when we come together as a church family. Let me share one last scripture with you this morning and then we'll close and we'll uh, invite our music team to come up and play a final song. Ephesians 2.22 says, And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. God wants a church that worships Him wholeheartedly with passion, with determination, and, uh, and in, in every aspect and every area of our life, committed and devoted to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your church. We thank You that there is power when Your church comes together and puts You first. When Your church acts in a way that expresses our devotion, our worship and our love, that we become a light to our city and to the world around us. And Father, I pray that you would help us um, as we go over this material, as we think on it, as we allow your Spirit to speak to us now and and in the days to come. Lord, that you would help us to have that that courage, that determination, that desire, that that fire, that excitement, that zeal to, to worship you with everything that we have with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and with all our strength. God, we want to be wholehearted, passionate worshippers. Father, help us in that. Help us to show who you are and what you've done to those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, to our website at bethelcrc.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.